one day you'll tell the story of autocrats, crooks, and kings who came for our freedom. A story of citizens who stood up to tyranny and won. The people prevailed and renewed an old vow to a more perfect union. And that was just the beginning. The story continues. Narrative. Where truth lives. And welcome to a special edition of Narrative Live. It's good to be with you again. Eric Garland is with us. How are you doing, Eric? I am doing great. And tonight's show is really important. It has really big national ramifications because like we've been seeing in Georgia, it points to yet another hypocritical GOP senatorial candidate for the U.S. Senate who really does seem to be a family values guy on the campaign trail. And then on the other hand, allowing the abuse of children at the Agape schools, but also at other schools in Missouri for a long time under his watch. So we're going to talk about Eric Schmidt and his brewing scandal about the Agape schools. But we also have some breaking news this evening. There's a plea deal in the seditious conspiracy case, at least the Proud Boys. Tell us a little bit more about that if you have the information. So, of course, we are in the middle of the Oath Keepers seditious conspiracy trial. So you've got Stuart Rhodes and a bunch of his various domestic terrorists who are on trial as we speak. They're the main thrust, the government saying violently attempting to overthrow the U.S. government is illegal. And the Oath Keepers saying, eh, we were just there to protect people. Good luck to both of them. But in the midst of that, there is a guilty plea from one of the Proud Boys. Now, these are both domestic terror organizations and recognized as such in different places. Proud Boys is recognized in at least Canada, I think possibly Australia or New Zealand, as domestic terror organizations. And one of their members pleaded guilty to seditious conspiracy. And that's the big one, because that means you had as your intent, the violent overthrow of democracy. But what really matters here judicially is you have a judge signing an agreement between the federal government, the Department of Justice, prosecutors, and the individual that you are agreeing that certain facts are true. These things cease being allegations and they become facts that have been recognized by a trier of fact. Mm. So we don't have to say alleged seditious conspiracy we can just say seditious conspiracy because the government said we've collected this evidence these are the facts this was a coup d'etat yeah and the first guy across the line a proud boy says yes it was attempted and we attempted it and i am guilty it's it, something we've been saying here for january 7th i think so it's certainly good that there is some movement on the doj investigation and one would presume there's more coming from the Proud Boys and also the Oath Keepers in that regard. Let's also turn to the story of Herschel Walker. It turns out that the mother of the child who he paid for the abortion for has come out and said, not only am I the mother of the aborted child, I'm also the mother of his other child. And he's admitted to being the father of that child. And therefore they continue to have a relationship after their first abortion had a second child. So there's no real denying the allegations, although 
Herschel Walker seems to be doing that left, right, and center on the campaign trail in Georgia today. There's no doubt the Senate looks like it's leaning towards Democrats, but it's still very much a tightening race, and we still have five weeks to go. Anything could happen. This was not a good day for Herschel Walker. Well, between that and some of the allegations made by his son that that man and his mother had to keep moving around to avoid domestic violence, if not very serious violent threats from the candidate for U.S. Senate in Georgia. So it's a theme we keep seeing amongst the Republicans. They are beholden to some sort of higher being in terms of what policies they're pushing on the campaign trails and in office. And yet in reality, in their private lives, they're not even beholden to those same principles, the same family values. And it brings us to Eric Schmidt, who's the candidate for the U.S. Senate in Missouri. He leads, like you'd expect any Republican to lead in. But there are many allegations dogging this guy. And one that we've been following a lot is the scandal at the Agape schools there. Tell us what that scandal is about. Agape Boarding School is a pseudo-religious organization that has a facility that has children from all around the United States and in some cases from around the world who are taken in. At some points, they are legally signed over by their parents. Sometimes they are not, which is the source of some federal charges of recent, but essentially the allegations at that facility are of widespread systematic forced labor, torture, the worst forms of child abuse. And that group of people in Stockton, Missouri, in Cedar County appear to have been aided and abetted by law enforcement, the judiciary, the prosecutors, and uh, many of the locals who are on the payroll of this organization that has expanded out into different schools that also they slap a little religious uh, veneer over the top. And under Missouri law, they are allowed to operate without really any regulation or oversight. And this is what's been allowed to go on. Now, the scandal involves the U.S. Senate candidate, who is the current attorney general for Missouri, Eric Schmidt, is that he had been aware of credible warnings about not just abuse of children, but also labor trafficking across state lines, also abuse of adults, the spouses of some of the employees of the Agape school who once they arrived and they move in on campus, they're given housing. And then they get told, if you don't want to be homeless starting right now, your spouse needs to start volunteering for work. And under Missouri law, if you're a volunteer, you don't, uh, you don't qualify for a lot of labor protections either. We're discovering the legal loopholes that have allowed them to continue without anybody bringing it to the public's attention. We're even discovering that when it's brought to the government's attention, they don't do anything. And in the past few weeks, finally, the federal government stepped in. The uh, prosecutors in the Eastern District of California charged a California woman and the former dean of students from Agape for having the Cedar County sheriffs, or we, that's who we believe that there were, two agents from Missouri drove out, handcuffed a, a child who was under the protection of a court. There was no legal transfer of custody, not even in a legal contract, because one of the excuses they use is, oh, well, the parents have signed a contract 
And that is legally fallacious. It's that would be an unconscionable contract. You cannot sign a contract that allows anyone to be subject to crimes. Well, let me bring in the other guests that we have tonight because they're equally as important to the story. Robert Buckland is a survivor of the Agape schools. Thanks for being here tonight. And Sarah Ansika is a state representative in Missouri for District 91. She's a Democrat over there and certainly has been at the forefront of pushing a lot of the attention or at least bringing some attention to the Agape Schools scandal. Tell me a little bit about how the Senate candidate himself, Eric Schmidt, what is it that he is alleged to have done or not done in the Agape School scandal? So the news about Agape really broke in 2020 with the Kansas City Star articles about them and about another boarding school, Circle of Hope, that Schmidt actually did close down. He accused the owners of Circle of Hope of about a hundred felonies and they are out on bond, but they're set for trial at the end of 2023. But Agape, he waited. We had a hearing in February of 2021 in the Missouri House about the residential boarding schools. So he was aware of it. He's been aware of it for a long time. He got involved in the case, worked I guess the local prosecutor asked that Eric Schmidt be involved in the case and Schmidt was involved for a little while, but then I guess there was some conflict about how much he could be involved and what charges would be brought. So Schmidt dropped out of that case. The prosecutor brought five low level felonies when it was recommended that he charged, I think 30 people or a large number of people. And then after that, those cases went forward, but. Nothing happened with Agape until they filed a suit to close them in September of this year. Yeah, it seems that uh, Schmidt didn't get what he wanted. And then so he asked the governor basically to allow him to be recused from the case and allowing this abuse to continue for an extended period of time, just because he wasn't getting along with the prosecutor, which by the way, is a prosecutor he apparently could have fired if he chose to. What would I, just for everyone's understanding of what Agape is all about, I wonder if you can take us back to what happened at that school and your the main allegations against the people who ran that school. Yeah, you know, so Agape has been able to exploit every loophole at state level for nearly four decades now. They've been able to cultivate relationships with all local officials, so they've been able to turn the other way. Just to people know, this is a place that's in Cedar County, which is in a town called Stockton, which is about 1,800 people. Yeah, Cedar County predominantly, about 81% of them voted for Trump. So it's mostly all MAGA country there. So Schmidt doesn't want to be seen interfering with a church, I believe. And that's, I think that affects the view voters have on him, at least Republicans. Now, when you went there, you discovered a school that had a large amount of abuse of various kinds, but mostly physical violence abuse on a regular basis. Now, tell us a little bit about what a day at school was like there at this boarding school, which was a Christian reform school. Yeah. So we went to church every single day. We read our Bibles. We were forced to read our Bibles for at least an hour every single day. It's a Christian compound in the middle of nowhere. The nearest big town is about an hour away. They would tell you if you tried running away there, that a local would either shoot you or they would bring you back to the school and you'd be severely punished. Now this, everyone, they said there in the community had guns. So they're very discouraged to run away and the abuse happened as soon as Day one, pretty much, that I got there. I was there for five years. 
Yeah, these are all photographs in the sides of the wall. So basically there's, it's a windowless environment. These are stone seating that are, you know, attached to the tables here. There are no loose chairs, uncomfortable seating just on the surface of it. It looks pretty rough, but it's much rougher than that. Someone described it as a torture compound. Yeah, you know, there's no way to leave. All the doors are maglocked. You see that the dining room right there has no windows. The gym had a couple windows, but they had bars on them. Remember, this is a boarding school. It's not a prison or it's not a jail. And yet the facilities absolutely locked down. Some of the cases that people had filed over the years against the school include saying that the boys were routinely beaten, that they were choked with an electrical cord, handcuffed yeah, I would for two weeks. Yeah, electrical cord. Yeah. Starved during punishment, not given any meals, chased in a bathrobe and a volleyball court, kicked and dragged, and also sexual abuse. I was 13 when I was there. When I was 13, 14, I was watching kids trying to hang themselves. I tried drinking bottles of chemicals, tried cutting my arms just to escape the abuse all the time. And I, I wouldn't get help after trying to commit suicide. It was, uh, a matter of fact, I would just get in trouble. It wasn't. I wouldn't ever get any professional resources. Sounds, it sounds horrific. And Sarah, you've discovered that really there's no protection at all. Really no. nothing to safeguard these children. Yeah. So until about a year ago, there was no requirement that these schools inform the state that they existed. So the state didn't know anything about them. The state couldn't insist on going in if there were allegations of child abuse or neglect. And a bill was passed last year to require them to let the state know of their existence. It does say that they have to take care of the children at those schools, but there's no enforcement of that. Anything that they can do has to go through a court. So they have to file for an injunction to get access to the children. And that's a problem because it seems that the courts are protecting the local school and the local officials there. It does appear that way, yeah. And so you've got a town of 1800 people and everyone probably knows everybody else. And the sheriff's deputies in the town were involved in bringing these kids in and out of the school. Yeah. It's a very remote area. I was down there recently. The entrance is off a dirt road, very rural, a lot of farms. There's a lake in the area that drives a lot of their economic growth just from tourism. If those kids can get away. There's not a whole lot of places for them to go and they don't know who they can trust in the community. And the school's been open for a long time. Do we know how many students have gone through? Over 6,000. Everyone that's come out there has given out a bad public account of what happened to them or what they saw there. There's hundreds of students, public testimony out there. And these two are the founders of the school here at this couple. Is that right? That's right. Who are they? Kathy and Jim Clemenson. Mr. Clemenson had died as soon as the school began under investigation, he passed away. And they're doing this for, for the right reasons, right? They're not doing it for money, but you think they're doing it for the money. Oh yeah. I've looked at all the LLCs and the trusts and if they're not doing it for the money, they sure have a whole lot of bank accounts there. So Eric Schmidt is a very ambitious guy by all accounts. He spent the last year basically just pandering to a national audience. Let's take a look at his campaign ad just to get a visit. I think Joe Biden is a total disaster. That's why I'm taking my blowtorch to his socialist agenda. As your attorney general, I put a stop to Biden's open border policies. I sued to get rid of Fauci's COVID mandates, and I stood with President Trump to stop election fraud. 
in the Senate, I'll turn the heat up on the Biden Democrats. I approve this message because now's the time to take our country back. See here, he's a denier of the fact that the Joe Biden won the results, won the, won the elections. He's a denier in the- we, These are yeah. not election deniers. These yep. are especially not Eric Schmidt. Yeah. He helped organize the attackers with robocalls. He oh. helped gather the mob to attack the Capitol and commit seditious conspiracy. He's part of that conspiracy. Also, a guy who's basically built this campaign on a bunch of lawsuits, essentially. He sued China, COVID. Uh, he sued Joe Biden. It's a very stunty way to get on Fox News on a regular basis, it seems to me, and not really an educated way to win on a policy basis or winning the approval of your citizens over there. And yet, he had no time to attend to one of his biggest issues on his plate, which was the Agape School's abuse of boys. I mean, there is an understandable you know, disagreement between him and the prosecutor that laid out the background for why he landed up asking to be recused. But at the end of the day, this was happening under his watch. And while he was doing all these lawsuits on a national basis, and he wasn't doing what he could have done. How does that make you feel? I mean, it must make you outraged, Robert. Yeah, he failed policies and publicity stunts. We were begging him a year and a half ago to file an injunction. And he said, we don't have ground. And here we are a year and a half later, he files an injunction. And now the judge tells him, where were you a year and a half ago? And in that year and a half that he didn't act, kids were literally being handcuffed at Agape. Social workers noted how kids were so malnourished there, so skinny from not being able to eat. I think the thing that angers me most is we were right when we said kids were going to get abused if you don't act now, because kids are still being abused there. As of two weeks ago, it, it wasn't until the public backlash really became pretty fierce. It's, the public backlash has really grown over the Agape crisis. And I think it's going to blow up I, because there's still multiple round, rounds of lawsuits that have not been filed yet. So right now you have 25 lawsuits in the last year naming again. The next week or two, there's going to be another big round of six to 10 lawsuits. So that's going to place it over 30. You have Ryan Clemenson. Uh, in sworn deposition stating that the Department of Social Services has investigated Agape at least 10 times since 1999 mm -hmm. and dropped every single investigation. Wow. Sarah, this is unbelievable. This uh, neglect of these kids and this neglect of the rule of law. It really is. Yeah. Just the way things are structured. The government has so little power over these organizations. And then Schmidt is just not using what he has to the fullest extent. So he is more concerned with making sure kids can't wear masks at school than he is in making sure kids can't be beat at these boarding schools. I'd like to say it's not just Eric Schmidt in the Missouri government who has been falling down on the job. Rep Unsecure here proposed a very simple change to the law that would have just had these religious schools put under oversight like every other institution that care of, of people. And uh, I believe they didn't have time for it. They had to pass a tax cut that got people like $140 in their paycheck if they weren't a zillionaire. How'd that go? Yeah, my bill didn't go to the floor. It didn't get assigned to committee. What needs to happen is these schools just need to be licensed. There's two categories of residential facilities right now. There's the licensed residential facilities, and then there's the license exempt facilities and the license exempt facilities 
really basically have to let the state know that they're running and the children can't be in grave risk of harm at those schools. So immediate harm. Right. And these kids are in immediate harm and this abuse is ongoing right now. And yet nothing is being done. This guy's running for Senate office here. That's uh, remarkable. There's a couple of articles just worth I want to point you to. One is, this is the day, which I guess September 24th last year, when the Missouri AG Mm -hmm. was asking his governor for permission to exit this case. So it's been a year almost, and there's a lot of abuse going on in this last year. And this is just in the year that he's been asked to recuse himself, like that nothing's been done. And the absurdity of an attorney general asking his governor to let him off a case because he's having a disagreement with his own prosecutor is stunning. You know, it's that the story here, people, they've known about this for decades now, and there's people apparently driving antique cars, flying around the world. It's almost like organized crime. And Mm -hmm. there's a few people making a whole lot of money and a bunch of people suffering. And those people who make money are so powerful that nobody wants to oppose them. This is the issue. Missouri could shut this down if it wanted to. He could do any number of things. He could charge labor violations. He could charge parking tickets or whatever, forestry violations. He could do something other than direct his rage at Dr. Seuss books or whatever he's doing. He'd rather let children be tortured on his watch. And the question is, who's financing that? What is, who is paying for this influence? Who is paying for this agenda? I do want to read something from the Riverfront, it's the Riverfront, Riverfront Times. Times, and it's, it says this, uh, uh, Schmidt wanted 65 criminal counts against 22 Agape co-defendants, including some high-level felony child abuse charges carrying 15-year prison sentences, the news leader reported. But Geiter, who's the prosecutor, only wanted to charge seven defendants, none with more than a Class E felonies, carrying no more than four years in prison. Just to recap, the Attorney General of the State of Missouri discovers a glaring failure and unwillingness by a county prosecutor to pursue real justice against nearly two dozen perpetrators of child abuse on a case in which the Attorney General had been called to help. And what does Schmidt do in the face of this outrage? He begs the governor publicly to let him out of the case. Shame on all of us for not paying enough attention to the malpractice of this coward. Schmidt had far better options, according to local attorney Elad Gross, an expert on these matters. One was to sue to have Geiter removed from office, something the attorney general is empowered to do, and replace Ty Geiter with Kim Gardner and imagine what Schmidt would have done. But Schmidt didn't even have to bother with Geiter. Schmidt has long had the power to go after Agape Boarding School's nonprofit status under our consumer protection laws and close the institution on his own but he has refused to do so, refused to do that. What happened last year in Cedar County is as much a confirmation of Schmidt's lack of character and competence as all the horrific pain he inflicted on schools district throughout Missouri. And that is saying something. So Robert, let's start with you. I mean, when you realize that these options are available to him, like the consumer protection law and all these others, why isn't this being done? Why is he not doing this? The article is right. Shame on all of us for not making a bigger deal about this last year. Schmidt begged the governor publicly to get off of a case where there's dozens of perpetrators at a school harming kids. Instead, he threw his hands up in the air and abandoned the victims. 
And it just tells the story of you know, it's the second GOP candidate now for Senate there who they're just hypocrites. It seems like they've got a bunch of hypocritical candidates running for office here. It is stunning to me that there's a theme going on here that you've got people are protecting pedophiles, protecting abusers of kids and thinking that they deserve an, a promotion into higher office into the national stage. Is this just the way it's always been in Missouri? I mean, these schools have been going for years and years. They're adopting is one of them. Some of them have used to run in other states and those states tightened up their regulations, made them be licensed, made them follow different regulations, and they moved to Missouri because Missouri didn't have those same regulations. So this has been going on for a long time. I mean, 20 years ago, kids were basically waiting in cow manure and the state tried to shut the school down and it ended up in years of lawsuits and that school is still open and running and suing the state of Missouri over the law that passed last year. We had a whole labor movement a hundred plus years ago for all the laws and protections we have. And they've just found these little loopholes of, oh, well, that's a drug treatment program. So we can have somebody bouncing around the back of a van and fall out the back onto their head. And well, what are we going to do? And the reality is when they have a chance, they, the legislation is proposed. We had Rob Viscovo, who's the speaker of the house from Missouri, came out and begged the feds, please come in, please federal government, come in and fix everything for us. And then he would not put Representative Unsecker's bill onto the floor or in committee, wouldn't move it at all. It, they're saving their ass here. A year ago, I emailed every single person in the Missouri House, every lawmaker, Republican and Democrat. I emailed every single lawmaker in the Missouri Senate, Republican and Democrat. Some five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten times each because they didn't respond. And the only people that responded were the Democrats. And the responses that I did get from some Republicans were, please stop your public outcry. It's not helping, or you have no idea what you're talking about. You're stupid. But you got so, them stop harassing me too, right? Yeah. Stop harassing me. Well, yeah. I'm not harassing you. You're a lawmaker. I was abused as a child at a school in your state. What are you doing to fix it? Because kids are being abused today. 10 years later from when I was there, nothing's changed. It seems that the law in Missouri sets aside these kids or other people, as you point out, in drug rehab centers or other centers that they just make them into second-class citizens with absolutely no rights and no access to the law. Yeah, the law oh, is no, protecting these facilities a whole lot more than it protects the kids in the facilities or the people getting treatment in those facilities. Across the United States, there has been over 350 children who have died in these types of facilities recently in the last five, 10 years, there's no federal oversight at all. We regulate the marijuana industry more than we regulate children's childcare industry. Trouble teen industry is the only multi-billion dollar industry in the United States that has no regulations at all. Eric, you've pointed to one reason to this, that they're protecting the institutions because they're organized crime entities, essentially. Don't take it from me. Rob Viscovo made that accusation this past week, but I also testified before the Missouri legislature that if you are trafficking children, that we were talking about a slightly different issue of not really following up on lost foster children, that the police weren't looking, the police apparently will go out and recapture somebody from the Agape school. But if you're just from a regular foster program and you're lost, they won't even write it down and neither mm -hmm. would some changes are happening now, but they weren't even writing it down at the state agency level.
And I pointed out that organized crime was taking advantage of that for sex trafficking, yeah. according to the FBI and the United Nations. I think another issue in Missouri is in the last three and a half years, you've had seven different directors of the children's services of the Department of Social Services. How can you institute a policy if every six months you have a new director? Every six months you're cycling in different policies, different directions, and you can't really establish what you want, a, a, a direction. Robert's right. They have changed directors so often in the last several years. And our attrition rate at Children's division is horrible. Too many positions unfilled to the point where the division can't facilitate foster kids' visits with their families. Mm. So kids aren't seeing their parents as often as the court orders. The court might order every week or every two weeks, and they're seeing their parents every two or three months. So we have real problems with children's division. Those need to be addressed. Every minute of narratives reporting Every story that we break is made possible by our patrons. You too can become a patron by joining at patreon.com forward slash narrative. Narrative, where truth lives.